guys, this is Sue Young, and you're listening to the show that calls it Straight Down the Middle, The Whole Reppin' Show. And now, the wrestling podcast that calls it Right Down the Middle, The Whole Reppin' Show. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, hashtag dear listeners, all welcome to episode 118 of the only wrestling podcast that calls it right down the middle, the whole ref and show. By the way, my name is Perry Smith. And my name is Darren Beasley. And Darren Beasley, it is always nice to see you. Welcome back to the show that you co-host. <laughs> it's no surprise awesome. that you've come back. Ah, it's nice that you've come back as well, co-host Perry Smith. Yes, indeed. Did you have a did you have a lovely week? Oh, I don't know. Well, for starters, I think I'm doing the uh, the keto diet all wrong. Oh, does no. it does it mean cocoa krispies all day every day? That's what keto stands for: cocoa krispies all day every day, and also oil of Olay all day every day. <laughs> Isn't that how the Conan song rap went? Um, anyway. Uh, like Disco Inferno, it is. Yes, but, uh, yes, and he. That's... Other, than, other than um eating too much cocoa Krispies, I guess it's a pretty good week. I mean, school's got me a little stressed. It's uh, we're about to begin the fourth quarter of the year, and this year has flown by, and it's just uh, boy, it really stacks up on you. How's well, your week? Well, fourth quarter, Darren. That's crunch time. You gonna throw up a hail mary? The last couple minutes. See, I watch football on occasion. Well, I'm not Catholic, so probably not. Oh, zing! My week was fine. I just spent it uh, anticipating this episode of the whole Ref and Show, so we could talk about Fest Wrestling. Ooh, Fest Wrestling. Love is a battlefield. Three happened. Did you, did you just pop yourself by saying Ooh. Fest Wrestling. Ooh. Ooh. Anytime I say Fest Wrestling, I pop myself, Darren. I was not in attendance for Levels of Battlefield 3. You were, however. You are a man of the field. Um, which, again, no surprise because, again, you are a co-host of the show. But you're going to tell us all about the happenings, the goings-on at Fest Wrestling down in Hogtown. That would have to be Gainesville, Florida. That's the place. That's the place for the greatness that is Fest Wrestling. And I was there. So uh, that part of the week was pretty excellent. Oh, uh, looking forward to hearing all about it. I'm sure our hashtag your listeners uh, would also feel that way. And uh, we're going to talk about what went down on Sunday. Another thing going down on Sunday, I should say. WWE's Elimination Chamber, which I watched last night. And I've got quite a lot to say about it, Darren. And I'm sure you have a lot to say about it because it has a way about it. <laughs> oh, my God. Um, you know... Uh, speaking of that song, on Valentine's Day, I heard on the radio, they were playing the top 50 love songs of all time in a countdown from 50 to 1, and that song, of all songs, was like the number three or four top love song of all time. Now, that's a fine song. That's a fine that's song. That's a fine song. But is it the number four greatest love song of all time? I don't think it is. Maybe you misheard. Really maybe you misheard the list. Maybe it was top ten uh, Billy Joel love songs. Because even <laughs> then, even then, it's not number four or three. Well, <laughs> I, 
I, I the, the part I know that I heard was top 50. So it might have been the top 50 Billy Joel love songs. Wow. So just, uh, so just the, the, the Stranger Alone has 40 love songs on it, Darren. Um, all great. All great they, songs, by the way. They just played The Stranger. I was just listening to... I wasn't the radio. I was just playing my CD of the Stranger, <laughs> and you were you were talking. You were you were your own DJ, um, and you just confused yourself somehow. Well, I'm just I'm schizophrenic. The voices were in my head. Well, that is that is terrifying. But <laughs> um, do you have a favorite? Uh, do you have a favorite Billy Joel album? Mine is The Stranger, hands down. Like, that, that's not even that's not even for debate. Uh, you didn't even leave me the opportunity to not ask you the question in return. <laughs> oh no, because like I said, there there is no there is no debating, there is no arguing, there is no reconsideration. The stranger, man, the stranger has been there for me when I've gone to the dark places. You know, there have been dark nights, ladies and gentlemen. Well, you know, uh, it happens from time to time. We all go to the dark places. Um, we all go to the dark side of the moon. Uh, Lord knows Pink Floyd did. And, uh, I, I don't know. I'm more of a... Uh, uh, I don't know. I guess I'm more of a... Don't you dare say glass houses. No, 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 no. That's the thing is, this uh, Billy Joel is a rarity for me because I am an album guy. You and I are both album guys. But with Billy Joel, I'm more of a singles guy than an album wow. guy. You're going to greatest hits me? Is that what you're about to say? I... I you know, and I'm never that guy, but in this very moment, I am. I thought I knew you, Darren. <laughs> you had to be a big shot, didn't you? <laughs> well, I don't know. I have a way about me. Oh, well, anyway, folks. I'm an, hey, I'm an uptown girl. What can I say? <laughs> uh, we're going to talk more about Fest Wrestling's Love is a Battlefield 3. We're going to talk about Elimination Chamber. We might even talk more about Billy Joel, but we're not going to do that until we talk about them. Headlines. Well, let me tell you something, brother. They're going to make a biopic about me. They're going to put it on Netflix, dude. And it's going to be me. It's going to be Hulk Hogan. It's going to be, I'm, my name is Hulk Hogan. <laughs> I, I, can, I, I feel like I'm going to completely run out of oxygen, out, expel all the oxygen from my lungs, dude, when I say my own name, which is Hulk Hogan. <laughs> good. It's good. It is. They, they should cast you as Hulk Hogan for this Netflix biopic, but unfortunately, but they, they did they not. Are not. They, they, they did not see your audition tape, Darren. I'm sorry. And I sent them one, too. I sent them <laughs> a tape of me just saying, Hulk Hogan, Hulk Hogan, Hulk Hogan, Hulk Hogan, Hulk, Hulk, Hulk Hogan dude, dude, brother. Hulk Maybe Hogan. you are deeply disturbed mentally after all, Darren. Uh, <laughs> quite possible. <laughs> Well, it's what I dream about, um, you know. So yeah, for, for those who don't know, Hulk Hogan uh, biopic uh, being made for Netflix, uh, being directed by Todd Phillips. Todd Phillips, the guy who brought us Old School and Hangover 1 three times. Um, oh my God, oh. you got him. You got him. Oh. That is the roast of Todd Phillips. Please, the roast of please hire me, Todd Phillips. Um... Yeah, and the person playing Hulk Hogan, uh, a.k.a. Terry Bollea, is going to be none other than Thor, Chris Hemsworth, which has everyone a buzz. And I'm already seeing the memes. I've already seen the part in Infinity War where Thor comes back to Earth and Wakanda and Real American is playing, um, which is very funny. 
Um, I don't like any of this. I don't like any of this. I don't like the fact that it's being made for Netflix. I don't like the fact that Todd Phillips is directing it. I don't like the fact that Chris Hemsworth is playing Hulk Hogan. Um, wow. as, as far as star power, I understand having Chris Hemsworth play anybody. Um, but can you picture Chris Hemsworth as Hulk Hogan? Because I sure as shit cannot. All right, let me say this. I can't picture Chris Hemsworth as Hulk Hogan because I can't picture anyone as Hulk Hogan except Terry Balea because he looks like he, he is a Muppet. He is a cartoon. He is a cartoon of a Muppet. He is not a real man, and people don't look like that. That's Hulk Hogan looks like Hulk Hogan, and only he looks that way. And I've seen some people who have done some pretty <laughs> intensely fast graphic design work, especially to uh, take pictures that look like they're real and where they've turned Chris Hemsworth into Hulk Hogan. And I can look at those and appreciate like, eh, okay, he's blonde, the end. And if you slap that mustache on somebody, I, I'll tell you the number one problem right now. How's anybody going to look like that and play that role and not get the criticism that Rami Malek is getting that he didn't act in Bohemian Rhapsody. He did an impression of Freddie Mercury because the blowback on the original reception to Malik's uh, portrayal of Freddie Mercury has been hostile. And I feel like that is what you're going to invite by having somebody play Hulk Hogan. Now that's fine. If the, the entire movie were about the character of Hulk Hogan on screen, but we're hopefully, if it's a biopic worth its salt, we're going to see those dark moments where we all go to the dark side of the moon, uh, and you're going to see Terry Bollea at home depressed. You're going to see Terry Bollea uh, without a bandana on. You know, you're going to, and he's still going to have that hair and that mustache. And is Chris Hemsworth or anyone capable of playing that character? in a believable and non-hilarious fashion. The fact that it's Todd Phillips worries me even more. Sure. And then that's the big thing, is this guy is known for directing comedies. Um, so I'm wondering what way they're going to take this movie. Um, is this movie mostly going to be about the gawker slash, you know, saying being recorded saying a horrible thing while having being paid to have sex with someone's wife, Hulk Hogan, that no one wants to see on a big screen? Um, as much as I would love to see, like, someone being Hulk Hogan existing in the 80s and the early 90s, and all of that is far more interesting than anything Hogan has done in the last 10 to 15 years, um, and, but they're going to focus more on the stuff that you know now, and it's just like, I, that's not what I want to see, that's not the Hulk Hogan that I really necessarily care about, you know what I mean? So as far as just being just like a movie that I even want to see, it's kind of debatable even at this point. Yeah, you and me and everybody else. Like, nobody wants to see what he's been up to since the sex tape. Not in a film version. If you want to shoot a documentary, if you want to shoot a 2020 interview, if you want to shoot a little like 45-minute Netflix expose, sure, you can take a look at the last 15 years. If you're going to make a movie, if you're going to make something 
that you're going to do in the in the spirit of pages fighting with my family, or you want to do something like uh, and I don't like all that like Ray or Walk the Line or anything like that. It needs to be handled seriously because human lives are serious and fragile. And I mean, unless you're making a movie about Emo Phillips, like all movies about people should be handled with care. Sure. I mean, Emo Phillips, you know, that movie, that's debatable. Even Weird Al could, could, you could make a, a dramatic movie about. <laughs> well, sure, he is a human being. Uh, yeah. Oh, yeah, but some people are more human than others is all I'm saying. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, his name is Weird Al. It's not. It's not average Al. Uh, yeah, no, I, I see what you're saying. Um, it, it's it, you bring up uh, wrestling with my family, which is the movie, the biopic about Paige, the wrestler. I really have no interest even watching that personally. Um, I like. I like. I like. I like wrestling. Obviously, here we are, episode one eighteen of of our wrestling podcast. Uh, I like The Rock, who's very heavily involved in the movie. I like Stephen Merchant, who's very heavily involved in the movie. I like Vince Vaughn, who apparently is in the movie. Um, but I, there's nothing appealing about this movie for some reason. I, I just don't like it. It looks, it just doesn't look like something that I, I would find interesting. And there's no way. And I, people have probably seen this movie and they'd be like, no, no, but it does. There's no way it talks about Paige like her life now, where she's retired and you know her her nudes got leaked. But I think that's the Hulk Hogan movie we're gonna see. And it's like, I don't want to see someone, you know, horribly down and out. I want to see the the glory days, you know? Right. So what you're saying is you want your cake and eat it too. That's not the Hogan movie you want to see, but it is the Page movie you want to see. No, no, I don't want to see that. I said I don't want to see that either. Oh, well, I don't think you will see that with the Page movie. No, but (laughs) that's what I'm saying, though. I think the Hogan movie is going to be that, where it's like, okay, yeah, he wrestled a bit in the early, uh, in the 80s and the 90s, but then, oh, man, the shit oh, hit the fan. So, okay, instead of getting your cake and eating it, too, you're not getting any cake. No, 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 no. You I, get the Page movie you don't want, and you get the Hulk Hogan movie you don't want. I don't... <laughs> There's no content that could be added to the Page movie or taken away from the Page movie that would make me want to see Fighting With My Family. I just don't have any interest in it. The Hogan movie, um, I don't know how much interest I have in it now, considering all that I know about it. Again, it's it's really odd ingredients going into it, which I don't really approve of, any of it. Um and it's a Netflix movie, again, which makes it kind of like unofficially a movie. Like, not really a movie, which is kind of weird to me. Which isn't to say Netflix hasn't made some really good movies and TV shows, blah, 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 blah. I'm not saying that, but it's like, I don't know, it's not. It's like a movie. It's like a made-for-TV movie. Because Netflix is basically just TV at this point. Um, and that's kind of my thing. I, mean, I don't want to harp on this, but we'll obviously find out more as you know more and more of the movie is developed. I mean, it's it's in pre pre production at this point. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, actually, we could probably say a lot more, but let's hold off until we have some more details about it. But I will say this, dude: that <laughs> it, it's going to be fascinating one way or the other, dude, because it's about Hulk Hogan. Right. Sure. And uh, and. You know, I'm gonna I'm gonna wait and see what happens, and uh, I probably will see fighting with my family. But I have a weird feeling about it. It's way too bright and shiny, 
And even though The Rock is actually there, his scenes look like he's on a blue screen. Like <laughs> he that, probably filmed them on his Instagram uh, story, and they said just just throw him in there because um, that's all he has time for. He's a very busy man. Uh, th- it actually does kind of look like that. It looks like it looks like that, and that's what sure. I'm afraid of: is that the movie's going to be too much of that, and it's not going to feel like a real movie. Because it's an Insta story. Well, I remember when we talked about it when this movie was just like a couple of sneak previews of it, like on Raw and SmackDown. And it was like the clip was like, oh, here's Paige. Here's Paige's brother. And oh, they meet The Rock and The Rock promos for two minutes. And it's like, this movie's about Paige? Are you, are you sure? Is this whole movie about burgers? Yeah, right. <laughs> right. Oh, yeah. The Rock produced this movie because he wanted to tell the story of Paige. Or he wanted to tell the story of how he met Paige. Right, exactly. So anyway, we'll reserve judgment for when it actually comes out. Uh, I'm sure you're going to watch it. I may or may not watch it. We'll see. But uh, that is that. Uh, Well, uh, speaking of uh, (laughs) getting previews of a movie produced by WWE thrown in your face every five minutes, uh, something else is invading your TV screens when Raw and SmackDown is on, and that is NXT, apparently. Uh, with the recent appearances of Ricochet, Aleister Black, Tommaso Ciampa, and Johnny Gargano on Raw, uh, which is interesting. Uh, it, it's not official call-ups, but they're just kind of showing up and saying, hey, look at us, um, which is... I like that. I really like that, actually. It's good, but it's kind of like, to what end is this happening? If they're not officially joining the roster, are you trying to get people to tune in to NXT to see these talented folks? I mean... I, I, I get that. That makes sense. But at the same time, you got a locker room full of guys who never even see TV time and you're doing nothing with them. So I don't know. I'm kind of conflicted about it. But they all had very strong showings on uh, television, I will say. Well, OK. And, and that is a totally fair statement. And I understand your position on it. And I don't have a fully developed position on it. But I will say this. Uh, with it having happened only once so far, we have no idea if it's going to continue. It certainly does not seem or feel like an actual call-up. And the fact that they're carrying around championships uh, that belong to NXT also is a sign they're not being called up because they're not going to let them steal the belts from the from the brand and they're not going to strip them of the belts. So, and actually we know the fate of uh, Gargano's North American belt, but anyway, um, the fact that these guys appear in this capacity, while not quite as momentous, not as groundbreaking, it reminds me of ECW appearing on Raw 22 years ago, 23 years ago, uh, when you had the BWO and Raven and Taz and the Dudleys And then you have in the crowd, you've got Sabu and Sandman and Tommy Dreamer. It was so strange because it's like, what are they doing here? They're not here to stay, but why are they here? And they're, they are wreaking havoc and then they disappear. It's, it's, yeah, I mean, it's along those lines, but it's certainly not that because everyone knows WWE owns NXT. ECW, I know, but ECW showing up was like, whoa, whoa, this is a rival company showing up on Raw. I mean, no one at the time really knew that Vince McMahon was helping Paul Heyman financially to keep ECW going for a few of those years. 
Um, so it's, I get what you're saying, and it's it's sort of that, but not really, because it's not like, what the hell? What is it? What is he here for? What does this mean? What is What do they have in store for WWE? It's just, oh, these guys at NXT, you can see them on NXT. Watch NXT. Bye-bye. Um, so all, all they can no, do is come or- in and have good matches and have Michael Cole called NXT people wrestling, which is always kind of awkward and weird. But, I mean, it it only will lead to eventual call-ups for these folks, and they all deserve it, of course. They're very talented. But, again, the issue of overcrowding NXT talent and them not knowing what to do with them. Uh, a good example, obviously, most recent example was Ty Dillinger, who just asked for his official release from WWE. And who could blame him? I forgot he was there until he released a statement saying, I'm leaving. Well, you know, Ty Dillinger is basically doing what Zack Ryder should be doing. And that is saying, I'm sick and tired of being sick and tired. And, you know, Dillinger hasn't even been up there on the roster that long. And yet he's been with the company as a whole for so long now that he realizes it's just not happening. They're not going to pull the trigger on him. Uh, they, they're not going to repackage him. I mean, there was actually talk of repackaging him, but it wasn't. it's not going to happen. It's just not going to happen for him. He's not going to have more than maybe one accidental moment in the sun in that company if he just stays there. Uh, the only way Ty Dillinger will, will shine on a WWE stage is if he leaves now and goes somewhere and basically drastically ups his value in, a, in like a Cody Rhodes kind of style or Juice Robinson kind of style. Like when I think of Ty Dillinger leaving, I actually think of Juice Robinson. Now, I don't know if Ty Dillinger is going to New Japan, if he's going to Ring of Honor, if he's going to AEW. I don't know what he's doing. I mean, he's, he's kind of old enough he could retire Maybe look at a second option for a career. But if he's going to stay in wrestling, Ty Dillinger could easily do what Juice Robinson, who was known as CJ Parker in NXT, did. And uh, far more successful. And one day you might see Juice Robinson back in a WWE ring uh, under who knows what his name will be. But he will have achieved far more success by doing it that way than if he just stayed in NXT uh, you know, breaking Kevin Owens' nose. Oh, sure. I mean, that's nothing new. People who are underused leaving and, and doing great things somewhere else. I mean, Cody Rhodes might be the best example of that happening. And uh, Juice Robinson, obviously, things are going pretty well for him in New Japan. He's current uh, U.S. IWGP champion, yeah? Which we haven't even oh, mentioned. Yeah. We haven't mentioned the fact that Jay White, aka Switchblade, is the new Switchblade is the new IWGP uh, heavyweight champion. We should be ashamed of ourselves, but yes, folks, we know that. We just keep forgetting to mention that. Uh, it's hard to slip it in there. You know, it's hard to slip it in there. Uh, so yeah, Ty Dillinger, obviously off to I won't say bigger and better things, but I'll say different things, which could potentially lead to bigger and better things. So. Best luck, Ty Dillinger, but NXT folks showing up on Raw and SmackDown. What does it mean? We're so close to Mania. We're so close to roster shakeups and all that stuff. I feel like the landscape of WWE is going to be very different uh, following WrestleMania, especially with Triple H kind of getting more of his influence uh, these days. Um, so that's that. Speaking of WrestleMania, you can't talk about WrestleMania weekend, Darren, without talking about the WWE Hall of Fame 
And I think we have our very first uh, inductees into that Hall of Fame. So, Darren, we're going to go to the Huff. Let's go to the Huff. Let's go to the Huff. Oh, man, I love pulling that baby out of the mothballs. It's that time of year where we begin to have all sorts of fun stuff like going to the Hoff, not the Susanna Hoff, although I'll go anywhere she tells me to go in Susanna Hoffs we trust. Um, <laughs> but the Hoff, the WWE Hall of Fame, class of 2019, the first inductees are D-Generation X. We got a stable being inducted. Which is and, kind of a cheat, um, right? That's, that's kind of a cheat. Well, here, here's a way to get five or six people in at once. Uh, just the whole stable goes in. Kind of like Ric Flair is inducted himself and also in the Four Horsemen. Well, sure. But I think as it goes, they're inducting six people in this induction of DX. They're, they're inducting Shawn Michaels, Triple H, and China. But not Rick Rude. Not Rick Rude. So the, it's the original DX of Michaels, Helmsley, and China without Rude. And then additionally adding the New Age Outlaws, the Road Dog, Jesse James, and the Badass, Billy Gunn, as well as Sean Waltman, a.k.a. X-Pac, a.k.a. Six, a.k.a. the One Two Three Kid. Now, six inductees going in with DX. Only one of them is currently in the Hall of Fame as a singles wrestler. Like you said, it's kind of cheating. It's kind of sneaky. I don't know that Billy Gunn or Road Dog have uh, singles careers. As a matter of fact, I know they don't have singles careers that are Hall of Fame worthy. But I feel like you probably could induct the New Age Outlaws into the Hall of Fame as a tag team. I don't know that you should induct Sean Waltman, um, except it would be awful for him if he was the only member of the clique not inducted. Um, and, you know, I guess because he still wrestles all the time and he's not trying to, I guess is the one area that Hunter Hearst Helmsley is not trying to put himself at the center of all things. He's not in the Hall of Fame. Michaels is. The one that kills me, though, is China. Sure. And then that's the thing is this kind of cheating. This is how you get China into the Hall of Fame without directly putting China into the Hall of Fame. And the, the second that I saw some video with China wrestling on, like, the WWE Facebook, I was like, oh, China's going in this year. But I was only half right because it's this whole trickery of the entire stable goes in. So I don't like that. I, I only I, I'm fine with DX going in. I am, you know, DX was clearly, clearly by a long shot uh, number two in terms of influential stables of the '90s. They were they were easily second place to the New World Order, but uh, they were third still, place. Third place, Darren, because it was New World Order one, NWO Wolfpack two, and then DX three. Okay, fair enough, fair enough. I, I can actually agree with that. Um, <laughs> but I uh, I feel like... You don't turn your back on the wolf pack, Darren. You might end up in a body bag, is all I'm saying. That's true, that's true. Both The Undertaker and the NWO wolf pack want to put you in a body bag. <laughs> this is a competitive sports league. I'm going to you. 
it's like blood sport, right? Sure, sure. It's the same thing. Um, it is a blood sport. It used to be a blood sport. Wrestling used to be a blood sport, but not anymore. I think it's fine that DX is going in. I'm most upset that China is not getting her singles moment in the sun. And if she ever gets it, it will be overshadowed by the fact that she went in with DX first. Not to mention that any and every induction of China is too late because she, A, should have gone in a long time ago, period. And B, it's posthumous, and that is always unfortunate. Sure, absolutely. So that's that. The the first uh, announcements as far as inductees into the 2019 WWE Hall of Fame class. Uh, should be interesting. Uh, I think a lot of speculation right now. I think people are talking about Jim Cornette possibly going in. Um, several other people as well. It's all rumors right now until it actually happens, folks. And you know that when we get an update, we will let you find folks know what's going on. Because that's what we do here. We call it right down the middle, Darren. Oh, sure. I'm not going to pull any punches. I'm not going to say uh, how wonderful it is that China gets to go in in this fashion. I'm pissed. You're not going to pull punches, which is ironic because we're talking about wrestling. Uh, so that's. Oh, and also, let me just say, if Cindy Lauper doesn't go in in this year... We riot. <laughs> Fair. Fair enough. We all know how Darren feels. I feel I feel the same way about it. Uh, but Darren feels especially strong about Cindy Lauper not being in the uh, WWE Hall of Fame. Uh, so, Darren, speaking of wrestling, you went to a wrestling show this past Sunday, didn't you? I did. I uh, got in the car and I drove down to Hogtown, took I-75 south to beautiful Gainesville, Florida, I found that country and western bar full of punk rockers and wrestlers. And that's my home away from home, our beloved Fest Wrestling. And let's talk all about it. Hi, guys. This is Leva Bates. You might also know me as Blue Pants. You might also know me as Queen of Cosplay. You might also know me as Girl Who Just Kicked Your Butt. And this is a whole reffin' show. We're here to talk about Fest Wrestling. We're here to talk about Love is a Battlefield 3. We're talking about the third opportunity for a tag team. Partners who love one another. There is no truer love than that between a tag team to pursue their way through a tournament to get the Love Cup. The highly coveted Love Cup for Fest Wrestling. It was on a Sunday the 17th of February, 2019, in Gainesville, Florida, at 8 Second Saloon, the home of Fest Wrestling. That fest brought us their latest spectacular independent wrestling show, and it's the hottest organization in all of indie wrestling. I was so stoked to be there. Perry, you were missed, not just by me, but by the Fest family at large. Everybody wanted to know where you were. I told them you're in Los Angeles for some reason. And, and they were disappointed. <laughs> For some reason. And, but, as always, we are loved there, and we love to be there. Uh, I was uh, lucky enough to be joined by friend of the show, Jameson Bennett. Oh. And uh, we had a great time uh, catching up with all of the members of the Fest family and spending uh, all of our time there just absolutely enthralled with uh, the independent wrestling show that Fest provides for us who are just... Man, we're so thirsty for wrestling, dude. <laughs> well, luckily uh, that thirst will be quenched by a love cup. 
Well, this is a tag team tournament. And to be fair, it's difficult to break down a tag team tournament blow by blow, move by move, match by match, when it's going to take 10 matches to get your champion. So we may move through some of these matches a little faster than we normally do, but we definitely want to take a moment to appreciate all of the teams that were a part of the Battle for the Love Cup. In the opening brackets, we saw the Gymnasty Boys take on High Profile, the team of White Mike and Timmy Lou Retton, the Gymnasties, and they uh, battled against High Profile's Shay Shay McGrady and Will Demented. Also, the team of Sea Stars making their debut in Fest Wrestling. Never before in Fest Wrestling were Ashley Vox and Delmi Exo until this day, and they had a steep, steep, steep hill to climb when they faced Effie Loves Beastly, two Fest favorites, former Fest Wrestling world champion, the golden boy of Grabass, Effie himself. Also, Fabulous Fitness, the team of Coach Kiki Roberts and Big Kahuna Khan took on the Metro Brothers, JC and Chris Grit. That gnarly team from the Carolinas, Grit, TJ Boss and Montana Black with the conniving, underhanded, and uh, vocally gifted Tommy Thomas, the Tommy Thomas, uh, took on Southside Films, the team of Movie Mike and Bobby Ballantyne. Also Tech, and on this night it was only two... Equally charming heterosexuals, because hashtag, where's Jim, sure, bear, clap, 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 clap. They're not even trying anymore. Get, get sure, bear there, baby. I'm not saying that Jim sure, bear has the clap, and that's where he is. <laughs> that's I speculation. Just <laughs> I just want to know where he is. Hashtag, where's Jim sure, bear? He is tech, and tech is he. But without him, tech still had to go out perform, wrestle the best of their ability, against the team known as Pretty Hurts. Amy Rose, in only her second in-ring appearance for Fest Wrestling, although she is a familiar face, having been with Fest Wrestling since the beginning in all sorts of capacities, uh, gathering things at ringside and conducting interviews backstage, being a very integral part of the Fest family, and now mixing it up inside the squared circle, and Amy Rose is going to be joined in that squared circle by Kylan King, who is making her Fest Wrestling debut. And in the final first round match, the Carnies, two-thirds of the Carnies, Nick Iggy and Kerry Awful, returning to Fest Wrestling to take on the Coda, friends of the show, who are also returning to Fest Wrestling. And, of course, the Coda is the team of Caden Green and Ronnie Rios. Hashtag... Everything is demon shit. Uh, so that, I mean, everything is. So uh, basically file the rest of this program under demon shit because hashtag everything is demon shit. <laughs> I guess thing. file the rest of the show and the first half of the show. Uh, <laughs> all right. So let, let's talk about these matches. The Gymnasties, um, they made it very clear that if they did not win the cup, they would leave Fest Wrestling forever. That is a bold statement. 
Tony Weinbender, the owner, operator, promoter, and booker for Fast Wrestling, he didn't come up with this stipulation. The Love Cup, by its very nature, does not have this type of stipulation. No, Timmy Lou Retton and White Mike put it all on the line for themselves and said, we will win or we will go home. And so their first task was to defeat High Profile, who uh, are ready to scatter, smother, cover you in uh, all sorts of interesting ways inside the wrestling ring. And hopefully they can scatter, smother, and cover you for the three count. But they didn't do that to the Gymnasty Boys. The Gymnasty Boys don't have to go home yet because they do move on to the second round. I tell you what, to have originally been so hated by the Fest family for being, uh, I guess, the, the worthy foes of the Ugly Ducklings, the Gymnasties have made believers out of that Fest faithful in, in Gainesville, Florida. These guys are loved. There were the, uh, the, the tension was very, very high all night. You could cut it with a knife. The feeling among that crowd that at any moment we might be seeing the Gymnasty Boys for the last time. That's a very sad thought because I, I've become a pretty big fan of the Gymnasty Boys uh, over the past couple of years, um, having some great matches, not only with the Ugly Ducklings, uh, but also others as well. Tech, um, just there's just so many. It, it's it's sad to think about the, the possibility of them leaving, and I, I do wonder why, especially if Tony Weinbender had nothing to do with this. Like, hey, what, you guys are winning tonight or you're fucking gone. Um, Tony, <laughs> it was not Tony's idea, but after they said that, I'm sure he thought, he wished he had thought of that idea. It's like, well, if you're going to leave anyway, potentially, it should be my idea. I run the place, you know? Um, so it's good that they're hanging on at this point, but I, I guess, uh, we'll see if that continues. Uh, yeah. So, uh, big ups to high profile, making uh, a return as a tag team and, uh, spreading that Waffle House love all around. Uh, next up, we have former Fest Wrestling champion Effie joined by Beastly, whom he loves. The tag team of Effie Loves Beastly takes on Sea uh, Stars. And uh, Ashley Vox and Delmi Exo are hot. They, sure, you can call them Sea Stars. I want to call them uh, Buku of Energy. Um Wow, they were electric. It's electric! <laughs> uh, these, these girls were electric. Um, boy, they were on fire. They, they, they really kicked ass. And I don't think Effie and Beastly knew what they were in for. They certainly did not appear to know what was hitting them. And they never recovered. And much... To my surprise, they lose this match. Wow, that is quite an upset. Uh, though Effie and Beastly, they in Fest Wrestling, they typically fight pretty well-known uh, opponents. So when you bring in uh, a complete unknown like Team C Stars, which by the way that is Team S E A Stars, not C, the letter C, um, then I, I guess they didn't really know how to prepare for it. Uh, they just thought to go out there and just be themselves, which usually gets the job done uh though this time i guess not so much it's never it's never easy to hear the words effie loses darren so I'm gonna, I'm no gonna... it's the worst words to hear <laughs> and, uh, you know effie made himself scarce after this loss he he disappears sea stars head to the back i guess to prep for the next round 
that left only Beastly in the ring. And uh, Beastly said, uh, well, he said more in uh, in about 20 seconds than he said in the last three years in Fest Wrestling. And he said, loss after loss after loss, maybe I, maybe it's time for Beastly to quit. Oh my God, is everyone quitting on this night? Is is I, Did Tony Weinbender say, literally say, <laughs> if you lose, you're gone, you hear me? I'm going to be perfectly honest here. I'm going to be straight up honest here. There was a dark cloud hanging over this event. Oh no. Uh, now, it was a fest wrestling event, which means it was fucking awesome. <laughs> but there was a dark cloud hanging over this event. There were weird feelings. Effie and Beastly losing, Beastly quitting. Uh, the, this weird self-imposed uh, potential exile for the Gymnasty Boys. Um, these unknown entities kind of floating in the... Uh, the nastiness of grit and the meanness of the metros. I mean, this was a dark show. It was dark. Like this is the like this is the Empire Strikes Back of Fest Wrestling. Like, <laughs> everything goes wrong. Oh, or like I just got a picture of Effie being frozen in carbonite, and I became even more sad. Oh my god, I want to get that limited edition figure of Effie Frozen and Carbonite. <laughs> you know, I, I kind of felt like, uh, to make another movie allusion, I, I kind of feel like uh, halfway through the show, Thanos snapped his fingers. Aww. And Fest just began to kind of fade away. I, That's already our second Infinity War reference, by the way, but continue. <laughs> and hashtag, dear listeners, Fest Wrestling isn't going anywhere. It just was a very odd feeling, and maybe that was the intention. Like, you know, let's flip the script on them here. Let's give them a fast show that makes them worry a little bit. Um, you know, uh, wrestling should be a roller coaster. It's not all highs. Sometimes there are some lows. And this, unfortunately, was a very low point for Beastly as well as Effie. And sometimes you apparently ride a roller coaster and, and say you will never ride a roller coaster again and walk away. That sure, I know that that's what I said the last time I got off the Incredible Hulk roller coaster at Islands of Adventure. <laughs> um, because I ill advisedly, uh, <laughs> they make a very big deal, Perry. They make a very, very big deal about not lifting your I head. I did the same thing, hell yes. <laughs> so I was like. Fuck them. They don't know. I am the master of physics. I can lift my own head. Who know this gigantic <laughs> this gigantic contraption of steel moving at high speed. Me, me, I'm bigger and badder than this machine. Oh no, I'm not. All I did was barely lift my head and I suffered a concussion. Uh <laughs> yeah, my my head uh my head uh, pinballed around the uh, little like the head uh, cushions or whatever they are for a few seconds. Uh, but it was That's quite not painful. fun. Well, well, what's what's funny is I have like multiple the Incredible Hulk roller coaster stories. Uh, but the I will say the last time I rode the Incredible Hulk, it was starting to move. <laughs> I'm sorry, this is ridiculous. <laughs> it, it's it was ridiculous that we both have in the story. <laughs> About a particular roller coaster. Oh, man. Uh, the last time I rode it, I was starting to move. We were all starting to move. 
and I realized that my my restraint wasn't actually locked into place. <laughs> so so like the voiceovers like, all right, we're going, go, and I'm like, no, no, don't go. Um, so they had to like stop it real quick and like you know actually get me in there. But it was like, oh, I almost died on the Incredible Hulk roller coaster. Almost a cautionary tale. <laughs> you were. You were almost the story of the girl who got decapitated on Space Mountain. Oh, that old tale, tale out of school. That's what it is. It's a tale out of school. But Darren, speaking of Florida attractions, more about Fest Wrestling out of Gainesville. Oh, man. Fest Wrestling is my favorite Florida attraction. Well, how was that for a segue? Did I get points? Cool points for that segue? That was good. You do. You get some points. We're, 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 every episode of the whole reference show is, is scored with by points. <laughs> and... Uh, then off the air, Perry and I find out who won. Um, <laughs> so, uh, Fabulous Fitness, uh, the team, of course, of Kiki Roberts and Big Kahuna Khan, faced the mean and nasty and surly Metro Brothers, JC and Chris. These guys make me angry. Are these these s- guys actually make me ill. I think Surly is probably the best way to uh, describe the Metro Brothers because, like, they're they're mean and angry. But most tag teams that they, they are most any competitor in that squared circle should probably show its fangs a little bit, you know, and and show that they're they're they can be intimidating. They're a force to be reckoned with. But these guys are very surly from what I've seen them live in action and what I've seen on the interwebs. Yeah, dude, they are hateful. They are just plain hateful. And uh, when things don't go their way, they're even more hateful. And things don't go their way. Fabulous Fitness makes pretty quick work of the Metro Brothers. Uh, But Fabulous Fitness pays the price because Metros, uh, they pull out their belts and they whip these uh, gentlemen with leather belts. And I don't know anyone who takes real kindly to that. Uh, Some guys are really into that. Darren. I was going to say, some people pay top dollar for that. <laughs> most people, most people don't appreciate it, as a matter of fact. Not sure. only do they not crave it, they rather despise it. And um, I believe Fabulous Fitness falls into that category. Nevertheless, despite the fact that Fabulous Fitness are the ones that move on, the metros make their presence known. And they literally leave their mark on the backs and backsides um, of Khan and Roberts. And then they, you know, they turn that nasty, surly gaze to the, uh, to the fest crowd. And they just, the, you know, stiff upper lip is a, is an ugly thing uh, to, to look at when uh, it's being pointed in your direction. So the metros, they, they got to go to the house. Um, but I'm, I'm still feeling their presence. I mean, those, those are spooky dudes. I don't like them. I don't like them. I don't like them. <laughs> uh, Grits, speaking of like ass kickers and mean, hateful people, uh, TJ Boss and Montana Black, as big and menacing and as hateful as they are, the rumble that comes out of the chest of the Tommy Thomas when he gets on the microphone is that added little bit of, uh, of thunderous noise that lets you know that grit is here and they are here to own the damn place. And uh, they owned Southside Films. I will will say this. In a business where everybody likes to quote-unquote get their shit in, 
Movie Mike and Bobby Valentine don't even get their shit in. Like, <laughs> every time Movie Mike starts to do something that is, like, filmmaking related, he gets cold cocked by one of the guys from Grit. Every time he begins to act like a movie director or speak to the crowd as if he's giving direction, he gets plowed over by either TJ Boss or Montana Black. And bless Bobby Valentine's heart, he just doesn't have a prayer up against this team of grit. Grit, I mean, they all but packaged them up and mailed them home to their parents. Like, this was ugly. This was lopsided. This was dominating. Um, and I, I kind of feel any team that would have faced grit in the first round would have met this fate. So Southside films are not unique in that they suck. These are talented guys who were just simply outmatched uh, in the in this particular encounter. Well, we mentioned this going into uh, Love is a Battlefield 3 and the Love Cup uh, tournament that Grit was the team to kind of have your eye on because they'd, they'd, already, they'd already proven their dominance uh, over the last few shows of S Wrestling, that they are definitely ass kickers uh, to be sure, and apparently that, uh, that rings true here at the Love Cup 3. So we mentioned tech, and I'm, I'm disappointed. That's all I can say is hashtag where's Jim Sherbear. But tech comes out, and uh, the team of Trevor Reed and Mike Monroe, Big Mike, if you will, take on uh, the team of Pretty Hurts. And you know what? They are pretty, and uh, they lay down some hurt on these tech boys. So it's not just a clever name. Ah, there you go. It's not, Meatloaf. Uh, but there's a there's a, a way to squeeze meatloaf into this episode. Um, <laughs> I got a point. <laughs> damn it! Damn it! <laughs> uh, if you're playing if you're playing the whole Reffin show drinking game, that uh, you have to take a shot because we mentioned meatloaf. Uh, <laughs> You'd be wasted somewhere in the headlines if that were true. Uh, there's our there's our next T-shirt. It should be a drinking game checklist on the front of the shirt. And uh, with little boxes next to it, and every time that meatloaf gets mentioned, or every time that uh, oh, I can't even think of it now. But uh, <laughs> every time Darren tells you how smart he is, or every time Perry tells you how handsome he is, <laughs> there you go, there you go. You'll be drunk in a minute. Whoa! Oh, <laughs> play responsibly. <laughs> play, uh, play only with Zimas and Mike's Hard Lemonade. <laughs> So that way you can still function after you hear the podcast. Also, don't play if you're driving in your car listening to the podcast. Yeah, don't play in public. You're, you'll get in trouble. Don't play in Publix either. No, because the thing about Publix is even Publix is in public. That's true. If you don't know what Publix is, then you're probably not from the South. Um, <laughs> Publix is a grocery store. Publix is a grocery well, store. For, yes, yes, yes. Uh, the, the Pretty Hurts, the team of Kylan King and Amy Rose, uh, they're not pretty enough or they're not hurtful enough. One or both of those things is not true. We know how pretty Trevor Reed thinks he is. And uh, Trevor Reed and Mike Monroe go over, are victorious over Kylan King and Amy Rose. And all I know is that uh, Kylan needs to come back to fest. Dylan needs to come back. Amy needs to pick herself up off the ground, dust herself off, and know 
that she is a longtime Fest favorite, and uh, we need to see her battle back in the ring. And with Kylan King at her side, maybe maybe she can do that. There's always next year. There's always Love Cup 4. It's going gonna, it's gonna to be here before you know it. That's all I'm going to say. Now, the Carnies, who have... This we talked about this last week with Max Gregg, one half of the commentary team from Fest Wrestling, uh, Pittsburgh's own Max Gregg, <laughs> not Philadelphia's uh, own. <laughs> no, no, <laughs> we no, learned no, no. we learned that the hard way. No, 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 no. Philadelphia is for uh, is for Rocky and uh, for cheesesteaks and uh, for cream cheese. I don't think Max got my uh, Shane Douglas Pittsburgh plunge uh, reference, but. Uh... That's okay. He's still a nice guy. Oh, he's the best. He's the coolest. I think I said last week. The, the, okay, so these teams, these these teams, and we mentioned this last week when talking to Max. That's why I brought Max up. The Carnies and the Coda. I don't know what to say about these teams. They're it's mixed success at best. Um, these are teams that have a lot of success elsewhere. These are teams that that look like ass kickers. These are teams that are proven ass kickers. And yet they just they just haven't reached that next plateau in fast wrestling. So now they're going to face each other and to me this is almost like a sink or swim kind of match for them. And of course we're always biased to friends of the show and as a result I'm sad that in a sink or swim match the Coda is the one who sink. Ronnie Rios and Caden Green sink here in the first round. I really expected them to win. I honestly expected the Coda to win. And uh, even down to the last moment, I was like, the Coda's going to get this thing. The Coda's going to do it. And they just didn't. Um, and I will say this. In their victory, the Carnies set a tone which said to me, maybe... They're the team to beat. Maybe they are the ones that Grit is going to have a problem with. Uh, but up until that moment, I still had faith for the Coda. But unfortunately, the Coda are sent packing. Better luck next time, fellas. We still love you. The Carnies moved on. Well, obviously, it's it's always sad to see a, a friend of the show or two uh, not uh, victorious at a Fest Wrestling show. But... I don't know. I mean, I don't want to say something like the Carnies wanted it more, or maybe it was an off night for the Coda. We don't know. I'm interested to, to know how these matchups are even chosen. If it's like a lethal lottery kind of a deal, or they're chosen at random. Does Tony Weinbender kind of think ahead and say like, oh, here's what the fans want to see, or what? Um, and if if it is along the lines of like, here's what the fans want to see. I mean, the Carnies have got quite a name. They're pretty well known, so it's pretty cool that Tony was like, oh, the Coda and the Carnies. That would be a good one. Um, so, I mean, that says a lot about the Coda, that he'd even put him in the situation with the Carnies. Um, so they should be happy about that. I mean, they can be unhappy about losing, and they have every right to be. I would be. Um, I'm unhappy about hearing them losing uh, here on my show. Um, but, I don't know. I mean, it's just, uh, there's there's always room for improvement, I suppose. There's always more opportunities down the road. So, I mean, this is not the last of see at Dakota. I'm not sad. They'll bounce back. And there's also always room for J-E-L-L-O. Yes. Thank you, Peter Bankman. <laughs> In the second round, let's go ahead and have them talk about these second round matchups. The Gymnasty Boys, remember, they're fighting for their fest lives here. They're very 
vitality, their essence, their festness is in jeopardy with every match that they compete in here at the Love Cup. Timmy Lou Retton and White Mike take on Ashley Box and Delmi Exo of the Sea Stars, and they do what Effie and Beastly could not do. They maintain their place in Fest history and, and in Fest present by remaining on the roster via this victory. They've only got one more match to win, Perry. The Gymnasties have but one match to win to stay put in Fest Wrestling. Well, good for the Gymnasty boys, obviously, sticking around there, because, again, it's not just the Love Cup on the line. It is their livelihoods uh, on the line as far as Fest Wrestling goes. Uh, I... I Obviously, the disadvantage for Effie and Beastly uh, because they aren't a tag team that tags multiple times every weekend, uh, you know, for however long. Um, so maybe that's why they couldn't quite get the job done when it came to the Sea Stars. But Gymnasty Boys, of course, who can do it better when it comes to indie tag teams? Gymnasty Boys, one of the best. And again, I'm, I, I am very, I'd be very sad to see them go. Oh, no, absolutely. And the thing that the Gymnasty Boys have going for them that is absolutely to their great benefit and the benefit of anyone watching them is that uh, certain je ne sais quoi that uh, tag teams have to have. And it is a certain quality that I like to say, two bodies, one brain. And that is what the Gymnasty Boys have. And that's not <laughs> that's not making fun of their intellect. That's just saying they are of one mind about how to operate within the confines of a wrestling ring. They don't have to talk to each other. They don't even have to look at each other. These guys move in unison that is absolutely like they share a brain. Uh, two bodies, one brain is the best way to describe the Gymnasty Boys, and that's why they've had the success that they've had. That's why last year they were the winners of this Love Cup. And they were the first ever Fest Wrestling Tag Team Champions. But also in the second round, we have the matchup of Grit and Fabulous Fitness. All I can say is Grit moves on. <laughs> like the butthole surfers would say, they're falling like an avalanche coming down a mountain. Oh. And that is the best way I can describe Grit. They're like that nightmare that you have of something that is uh, an impending doom. It is approaching you. It is bearing down on you. And uh, when TJ Boss and Montana Black bear down on you, they're likely to turn you into a grease spot. The Carnies in the second round, uh, they continue with what I said they were going to do. And it's just, it's looking good. It's looking like a team that is destined for something. Uh, they're not just competing. They're not strive. They're not struggling. Um, they're, they're, uh, they're not Mabel and Moe, but they are men on a mission. And so they find themselves in the final match of the Love Cup. The Carnies defeat Tech in the second round. And so they find themselves in the final match of the Love Cup. Yes. It ends in a triple threat match. Three tag teams three corners, all the marbles, the whole enchilada, the love cup. It's a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful trophy. 
And uh, if you want to see a picture of me, Darren Beasley, with Fest promoter Tony Weinbender and the Love Cup, you can find that on our Instagram. And uh, I had the pleasure of posing with Tony Weinbender with the Love Cup. And I said, hey, look, <laughs> this is what it would look like if Tony and I were a tag team that <laughs> won the Love Cup. Tony needs to book himself and you in the next Love Cup. And, of course, uh, stack the deck and uh, you know, and odds in your favor and all that stuff so you guys can potentially win the Love Cup as well. Yeah, uh, which, all, which really I, I'm confident enough in my abilities that I don't care who they put us against as long as it's not grit. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I will say, Tony and I might be able to beat everyone in this tournament. Well, Ex- it's grit. Except Grit. Except for Grit. You basically just make sure Grit is not able to compete next year, so it wouldn't be fair. But in lieu of Effie loves Beasley, Tony loves Beasley. Oh, yes. There you go. There we go. Of course, if Tony doesn't want to wrestle, he can always book me and Milo Beasley and um, the Beasley brothers. Uh, I mean, this shit writes itself. Uh, (laughs) Actually, I'm glad it doesn't write itself. The Brothers Uh, Beasley. No relation to the Brothers Beverly. That's true. Um, no one could be related to the brothers Beverly. <laughs> not even them. They're not even. They're not even related to each other. <laughs> this is true. This is true. So it's a triple threat match. We got the Carnies, Grit, and the Gymnasty Boys going at it for that Love Cup, Darren. That's got all the ingredients for something wonderful. Yes, it's a triple threat match. You are correct about that, Perry. But it's not. Up yet up next on deck is the Fest Wrestling Championship match. The child of the eighth day, Saiv Al Sabah, yours and mine, Fest Wrestling World Champion, is set to defend his title against Diamante, formerly known as Angel Rose. Diamante of LAX from Impact Wrestling, also known as the best friend of Jason Cade. And his bad attitude, Diamante taking center stage, Jason Cade conspicuously absent, Serpentico conspicuously absent, Diamante going solo in this attempt to take the belt away from Saeed Al-Sabah. Well, that might actually feed into what you were saying earlier about how the show felt kind of different or kind of eerie uh is a lot of familiar faces were not there a lot of fest favorites were not there again ugly ducklings not involved in a tag team tournament it hurts my heart darren it hurts my heart i mean they are the fest wrestling tag team champions so i can't feel too bad for them uh but still it, it is a very odd thing but also people like serpentico not being around jason cade I'm not a fan of his but him not being around is kind of an odd thing as well uh several others but yeah i mean it's it's that's one cool thing about the Love Cup is you see people that you never see, people that you seldomly see, but again, it is all tag teams, so a lot of those singles folks just there ain't no room for them on the show. And, and as you can see, and as you know, this is the only singles match on the show. And it is for the Fest Wrestling Championship belt. No higher prize. And Diamante, she means business. And that's not to say that Saiv, as the champion, does not but uh, by all appearances, I would say, and I can't believe I'm saying this, I really believe that Saeed underestimated what Diamante was capable of because if anything else were true, she would not have battled this successfully. She would not have taken Saeed al to the limit the way she did. 
unless he clearly underestimated her uh, because she battles very, very hard. You know, there's been a lot of talk about the fact that she has no intention of taking that belt. She is there for one reason and one reason only, and that's to help Jason Cade in his quest to be the first champion. And so in her, in her matchup, she's just softening him up. She's just taking some steam out uh, of Saeed and, and, and preparing him to have to face Jason Cade again at some point. Well, I know a lot of people like to talk about loyalty in the world of wrestling and say that, no, me and me and so-and-so are turkey tight. Can't nothing come between us until title opportunities enter the picture. Then all of a sudden it's a horse of different color. People are singing a different tune. So I, I have no doubt in my mind Diamante wanted that belt. And apparently she wrestled as if she wanted that belt. Maybe to bring it back to Camp Diamante Cade. But if Diamante walks away with the belt, where does that leave Jason Cade, uh, who is on the mend currently? Uh, there's no telling. Uh, I definitely think that Jason Cade would be very unhappy with that. Uh, because, like you said, loyalty is what it is. Diamante is Cade's lackey, certainly not the other way around. I don't know how kindly Jason Cade would take uh, to his, uh, I, I'm going to go ahead and say sidekick, uh, stealing his thunder before he has the opportunity to do so, um, to, to, to do what he wants to do. Uh, but uh, we needn't worry about that because as hard as she fought, it was not enough to dethrone Saeed Al-Sabah and he remains your Fest Wrestling Champion. Now, no sooner was Diamante vanquished than Effie, the golden boy of Grabass, the feminist icon, former Fest Wrestling World Champion, and dear, dear friend of the whole Refn show, who had been at ringside doing guest commentary with Rich Bokini and Max Gregg, he gets in the ring. He faces off with Saeed Al-Sabah. He gets the microphone, and he makes it very clear to Saeed and the Fest family and anyone listening and watching on Pivot Share, YouTube, and any other outlet, he makes it very, very clear. The business between him and Saeed is not over. It is not finished. It is not done. It is a dangling participle. <laughs> it was hung out to dry in the wind. Their feud, their program, their Head to head, head to head, has been hijacked by Jason Cade and his bad attitude and the weird, wacky shenanigans of Serpentico and Diamante. And that is a whole lot of hullabaloo, a whole lot of ballyhoo, and even a little brouhaha thrown in there. And Effie is ready to wipe it all away and say, me and you, brother, Effie, and Saeed Al-Sabah, one-on-one, for the Fest Wrestling Championship. He asks for it. He has granted it. Saeed agrees to it. Tony Weinbender at ringside agrees to it. And at the Hardcore Hunt in April, the week following WrestleMania weekend, we will see Effie and Saeed Al-Sabah, one-on-one, for the Fest Wrestling Championship. It was decided on that night at Love is a Battlefield 3, and Effie, in all of his vape pen glory, he breathes smoke like a dragon, or he breathes vapor like a dragon. <laughs> he says what he means. 
He means what he says, and he gets what he wants. I have no doubt that Effie and Saeed, there's a great amount of respect between the two of them. They respect each other. Both have said this of each other uh, on more than one occasion. But Effie is the kind of guy that's going to say, hey, that belt looks good on you. It'd look even better on me. Uh, so that remains to be seen. I mean, uh, both are great champions. Saeed is a great champion thus far. Effie has carried that belt for a while as well. Again, both great champions and looking forward to a great match in April. I am too. That That's the thing about these guys is they're, they're, they're both super over. They're super talented. They're fresh. They're hot. They're up and coming. They're baby faces. They're beloved. They're talented they're ultra popular. They are innovative. These guys are cutting edge avant-garde. They're at the forefront of the professional wrestling business. They're two sides of the same coin. You don't know who you want to be the champion more. They know who they want to be the champion more themselves. But as a, a, a follower, a fan, a family of fest wrestling, it's so hard to decide. You, you rarely get this opportunity to have two such strong uh, supportive pillars of the company at the same time. I mean, this is like having a Hogan and a Savage, you know? This is big. <laughs> Only I'm pretty sure Effie or Saeed are not batshit crazy. But no, it, it's you can file this under uh, what Undertaker said of Steve Austin uh, when they were feuding. Uh, it's nothing personal, it's just business. And I'll, I'll spare you my Undertaker impersonation. Oh, Please don't. <laughs> the Love Cup is on the line in the main event as the Gym Nasty Boys, fighting for their very fest existence, take on Grit, who are like an avalanche coming down a mountain, and the Carnies, that dark horse contender who seem like a team of destiny. Wow. These three teams told a damn story to get here, did they not? They did. This is, a, this is a collision course of three teams that all seem like they are here at the result of quite a coming together of fates. And you know who loves collisions? Grit. Grit loves collisions. <laughs> they love throwing people's bodies on the ground. Well, when these three teams get in the ring together, it just equals calamity. And I mean that in the very best sense. It is a visual smorgasbord of athleticism. It is an orgy of violence. And it is a phenomenon before your very eyes to see six grown athletes tear one another apart for the ultimate prize of the night. And that is that wonderful heart-shaped trophy. Uh, the fighting goes all over the building, all over 8 Seconds Saloon. At any given time, you could see two of these six men paired off fighting in some distant corner of the bar, uh, even on the second floor. At one point, we see the what we, what we love to see, what we hate to see, and uh, we're always fearful. Anytime anybody goes over that railing, on the balcony from the second floor, uh, it's very rare that you go over that railing and then come back over it. Typically, you're taking one big, scary, nasty spill to the floor. 
Timmy Lou Retton will be the man who does it on this evening as he is knocked free of his grasp by Carrie Awful of the Carnies. Carrie Awful then teases that he's going to throw himself over the railing on top of the big pile of bodies below, but he does not. He does not. Instead, he gives a big F you to the crowd there in Gainesville. But Timmy Lou Retton, that's a big man to fall from such a height, and he absolutely sends everybody uh, all over the floor, bodies lying all over the floor. The fight continues uh, in all, like I said, all the corners of the building, but not they don't stay away from the ring. There's plenty of opportunities for them to utilize the top rope. And I will say this, TJ Boss with a picture-perfect swanton bomb, now that is devastation. That is like nuclear devastation. Not to mention, it's like watching the damn Olympics uh, <laughs> to see bodies move like this. I mean, is this what fighters are supposed to do while wrestling has evolved in which big men go head over heels that from a starting position that high above ground? It's death-defying is what it is. It's the battle for the love cup, Darren. you got to pull at all the stops, okay? They know that. Even Grant knows they can't just punch and kick their way to a victory. Well, they're all punching and kicking. They're all clawing and scraping, and they're all flipping and flying. From the biggest to the smallest of the men involved in this match, uh, they are, they're doing it all. They're doing everything that it takes to claim this prize. And I will say this. The Gymnasty Boys are going to be forced to say farewell because they are not victorious. The Dark Horse contenders, the Carnies, they don't win by a nose. No. In this race for the Love Cup, in this fight for the Love Cup and the number one contendership to the Fest Wrestling Tag Team Championships, it is grit who win it all and claim the biggest prize on this evening. And the Tommy Thomas makes sure we all know what this means. He doesn't want to leave anyone guessing. He wants the Gymnasty Boys to get out. He wants the Carnies to get away. He wants all eyes on grit. Tommy Thomas, like I said, he brings that extra rumble behind grit. And he makes it very clear that these guys are here to destroy. And the two of them, TJ Boss and Montana Black, look out at that crowd. And there is so much disgust and disdain that they feel for the Fest family. And that the Fest family most assuredly reciprocates. And as a result, you are left staring at the Love Cup champions who really could care less about that cup. Uh, Tommy Thomas made it very clear they're there for decimation. That's why they came. That's why they're there. And uh, you can keep your pretty trophy. They're there, they're there to rule or ruin. And on this night, they do a little bit of both. What a interesting turn of events. I mean, one year you're winning the Love Cup and you're riding high. Uh, and you're winning the inaugural Fest Wrestling Tag Team Championship belts. 
and one year later you're in the finals, you lose, and then you you walk out the door, never to return. Is it possible that we will never see the Gymnastic Boys again? Will the Carnies lick their wounds and make a comeback? We don't know, but what we do know is that Grit are the recipients of that Love Cup. And uh, I guess hats off to Grits. Congratulations to Grit. Uh, we actually mentioned them quite a bit going into this, how Grit, again, uh, was the team most likely uh, to come in here and, and take it all. Not only, I mean, a team that doesn't necessarily need a plan of attack because their plan is simply attack, uh, to quote Iron Man from the first Avengers movie. Uh, <laughs> so hats off to Grit. Hats off to all the tag teams involved in the Love Cup tournament. Uh, hope to see them all again, of course. Uh, a lot of favorites in there. A lot of uh, our favorites are hashtag favorites. That's a new hashtag, I guess. Uh, and, of course, Saeed versus Effie at Hardcore Hunt's going to be a lot of fun to watch. You don't want to miss that. Uh, hopefully I can make a trip out to the southeast to check it out for myself, see it with my own two peepers, and not just get secondhand knowledge from Darren. I don't know why I said that with such disdain, but I did. I don't know either. <laughs> I kind of hurt my feelings. I'm just saying it's it's nothing like being there live. When I hear you talk about all the action that went down in such great detail, such gory detail, as it were, I'm always saddened that I myself could not be there. But uh, money costs money. Uh, ooh, Darren right now is showing me the Hardcore Hunt poster. Ooh, a lot of cool people on that poster. Uh-oh. There's a lot to look forward to at the very next Fest Wrestling Show. Like we said, this is the week after WrestleMania. You, of course, have the Hardcore Hunt match itself, a multi-person intergender scramble match. We know that it will most likely feature the return of Shotzi Blackheart, the return of no less than Teddy Stigma, <laughs> CJ O'Doyle, Kiara Hogan, Jamie Senegal, and Ariel Monroe not to mention probably some others. Leon Scott reluctantly accepts the challenge of Wolf Taylor, a challenge that was made at this show, and it will happen now at Hardcore Hunt. Where does that leave Diamante, Jason Cade, Serpentico, and many others? Who knows? But we know that one or both of us will be there with bells on because Fest Wrestling uh, it's it's too good to miss. It's simply too good to miss. Absolutely. And uh, if you're like me, you have to catch the action on Pivot Share. Hopefully it'll be up uh, sometime in the very near future. Uh, so if you were unable to attend Fest Wrestling, much like I was this past Sunday, I guess you settled for WWE's latest outing, uh, their latest uh, network exclusive, Elimination Chamber. And uh, Darren and I, we went head-to-head. Head-to-head. On our last episode going into this, and uh, let's see how we did. Hey guys, this is El Serpentigo, and you're listening to the only wrestling podcast that calls it right down the middle, the whole reference show. This past Sunday was WWE's not first and certainly won't be the last Elimination Chamber pay-per-view slash network exclusive. Uh, Elimination Chamber, man. <laughs> what a show it was, Darren. Don't, don't sound so excited. Yeah, I got a lot of issues with this one. I think a lot of people do. 
Well, Dirt and I, of course, made our predictions as to who would be the victors of the Knights. Uh, we did not do so well. I'll go ahead and say that. We actually picked all the same answers. Uh, even in both Elimination Chamber matches where there could be five potential winners, uh, Darren and I still had pretty much the same ideas of who, of what direction things should take. Uh, but we were wrong about much of it. We were pretty much right about Elimination Chamber matches, though. Uh, let's talk about the pre-show first. Pre-show match was Buddy Murphy defending his Cruiserweight Championship, Buddy Murphy, against Akira Tozawa. And we figured that belt would stay firmly around the waist of one Buddy Murphy, and we were right about that. As good as the match was. Yes, Darren? Buddy, Buddy Murphy? <laughs> yes. Uh, you know, we do our annual Top 10 Wrestlers of the Year and in order to prepare for mine, I do my top 10 wrestlers of the month. And uh, here we are at the very end of February. I'm starting to piece together my top 10 wrestlers for the month of February. Buddy Murphy is in the reservoir. He is in the pool of wrestlers from which I will draw my top 10 of the month because of this match alone. Buddy Murphy put on such a good performance here. Uh, and that's not to say that Tozawa didn't. But this match is far better than it has any right to be. This match is far better than what WWE probably wished that they would do. This match is far better than any other match that's on this show in terms of pure wrestling. And Buddy Murphy is probably 75 to 85% of that. This guy can do anything. He is strength. He is speed. He is agility. Uh, and I am on board for Buddy Murphy. I'm glad he's the champion. I hope he stays that way. They need to make him into uh, just a really, truly unbeatable thing. And uh, this is a, this is the way to do it. By putting a baby face, a credible baby face who's talented against him, who still comes up short in Akira Tozawa, uh, makes, makes Buddy Murphy look that much better. So... Uh, Big big ups to, to Buddy Murphy here tonight. Well, perhaps he was NXT's best kept secret after all, Darren. It just took a while for anyone to to learn uh, the secret of Buddy Murphy of Buddy Murphy. Uh, so yeah, I mean, it's, he seems to be doing well. Uh, he seems to be doing right by WWE. So uh, something tells me he'll be cruiserweight champion for a while. Now there is the cruiserweight classic happening right now, a tournament to find out who will take on Buddy Murphy for the belt. Uh, which I think he's calling the uh, Buddy Murphy classic because it's all about him. He's such a heel. <laughs> but he's doing a great job as a bad guy, though. And it's probably, I mean, I think if you ask most wrestlers, it's more fun to be a bad guy because you can you can do a lot more than go, you know what, I'm going to go in there, I'm going to hurt you real bad, not because I have anything against you at all, okay? It's just I have to go to work, I got to punch in, and I got to wrestle, all right? It's nothing personal, and I love you, and I'm sorry. <laughs> When and I love all men, and I love the Lord, but right. I have to wrestle to feed my family. Exactly. That that's what every every face does. Uh, that's what every baby. That's every baby face promo. Basically, yes. <laughs> <laughs> They're all southern and speak weird. Um, so that's it for the pre-show. Only one match on that pre-show. It's going to take us into the event proper. Elimination Chamber begins with an Elimination Chamber match. But not just any match. It is a women's Elimination Chamber match. It is a tag team match. And it is for the inaugural WWE Women's Tag Team Championship title belts. Uh, so we do have six teams here. We have the team of Nia Jax and Tamina Snuka. 
Lip Morgan and Sarah Logan of the Riot Squad, Mandy Rose and Sonya Deville. What, what was the team name that they gave them? Absolution. No, 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 no. They gave an actual team name. It was... Oh, right. Absolution was their little squad name. Fire and before. something. Like... Yeah. Yeah, they have a new name. It's like... Like Heat and Sweat or something. <laughs> I was going to say it was a horrible name. It was along the lines of like Vicious and Delicious, the team of Buff Bagwell and Scott Norton that lasted all of like, a week. It was like Sweet and Salty. <laughs> <laughs> It was like flaming Hot Cheetos. That was their name. Um, so they're in the match. Also, the Iconics are in the match. Uh, Bailey and Sasha Banks together. And the final team in the Elimination Chamber, Naomi and Carmella. Which is, again, watching the match, and I, I kind of had the same thought going into this whole thing, um, as I said in the last episode. You have teams that are so together and so cohesive, and, and it, it makes so much sense that they're together and they are tag teams. And then you have Naomi and Carmella's kind of thrown together. So they were kind of an eyesore because it's like, just because, again, like I said a couple episodes ago, just because you dress alike doesn't make you a tag team. No, you're absolutely right. And uh, the only thing that I'm going to give them a pass for is the fact that because both of these women, uh, Trinity, Fatu, and uh, well, actually, I don't know what Carmella's real name is, but <laughs> her name is Carmella, Darren. Uh, th this team, both of these women were professional dancers uh, before they were wrestlers. And so they put together a choreographed little dance entrance. And I thought at the very least, that was cool. They made the most of being singles wrestlers who just got smushed together by appearing at least on this one night as a tag team. Sure. Well, they're, uh, they're, well, they're both very competent wrestlers. I take nothing away from them in that arena. It's just weird because all these people who are like, we would die for each other. And then just Carmella and Naomi together. So that's all. I thought that was kind of funny. How did you feel about the match itself? Um, I thought the match itself was really, really good. Um, I, I remember not being a fan of Liv Morgan in NXT. But I like her more and more and more every time I see her in the WWE. And with Sarah Logan at her side, they are, I mean, I don't, I mean, I guess Liv Morgan is supposed to be like a brat and Ruby's supposed to be like an anarchist. And then Sarah Logan is supposed to be like, uh, like a, a Viking, a survivalist or a Viking or a doomsday prepper. But what that does is it puts all three of those girls in the riot squad uh, on sort of the fringe of society. Um, but it really, uh, you know, Sarah doesn't get to demonstrate a lot of her character here, but Liv Morgan does. And not only does she get to show a lot of her character, she and Sarah Logan jumping off the top of a pod at one point simultaneously, they're showing extreme athleticism, daredevil fearlessness, uh, and an, a recklessness that befits their name of the Riot Squad. And uh, so that was excellent. What did you think uh, overall? There, there are some cool spots for sure, what you could expect from a uh, Elimination Chamber match. Um, uh, some miscommunications as well. Speaking of Liv Morgan, there, there's a time, and I don't know who effed up. I think it was Sonya Deville. Uh, clearly, Liv Morgan was supposed to uh, do like the the fall backwards, embrace yourself, and pop back up, like ducking a punch, basically. 
but I guess Sonya Deville didn't get that memo, and she just <laughs> she basically just punches Liv Morgan in the face, and and Liv Morgan kind of goes back to kind of do what she was going to do anyway, and then just kind of uh, falls over, okay. and it was like oh that was a huge miscommunication, but <laughs> uh, stuff like that happens. Um, uh, I'm not really in love with the match itself. Uh, it's it's uh, I don't know. I mean, a lot of these. When you have Naomi and Carmella, and some people don't like Naomi and Carmella because they aren't the Bella Twins, I guess. Um, you know, they're, they're ladies that came into WWE, you know, only a few years ago um, is why I say that. They're so good at wrestling that when you see people like Liv Morgan and Sarah Logan and Mandy Rose and Sonya Deville and the Iconics and people who haven't quite wrestled for as long, you can see a lot of, as you say, like when you, when you put yourself out there, warts and all. You can see a lot of the warts, and because you have all these teams fighting each other, and they're not as experienced as, say, Bailey and Sasha Banks, Naomi and Carmella, whatever. Um, it, you see, you see the miscommunications, you see the misfires, and you see, you see a lot of the warts, as it were. Um, but it makes you appreciate people like Naomi and Carmella even more. Um, I was very surprised that they were the first team eliminated in this match. Um, I, I think if you wanted to make the match like as good as can be at the end, it should have probably been. The best wrestlers possible, which would have been Bailey and Sasha versus uh, Naomi and Carmella. That's all. That's a valid point. Um, I, I, I think I like the idea of Bailey and Sasha on paper more than in reality at this point. I can't get as excited about them as I uh, as I used to at one time. Um, I don't think less of them. I'm just entertained by them a little less. Um, the Iconics I'm still very, very, very high on. WWE seems to treat the Iconics uh, similarly to, I guess, like uh, Santino. Sure. You know, there's just too much of a joke. But I think that you can, anytime you wanted to, to, to tweak it and make them a little nastier and a little less silly, you could do it. I think the Iconics uh, are, 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 are sleeper agents. That even they are unaware of. Oh, as far as entertainment value goes, I love the Iconics. They they genuinely make me laugh uh, when I see them, and they're good at, at being obnoxious uh, people. Uh, that pinning combination they hit on, I think it was Naomi, to eliminate Naomi and Carmella was pretty awesome. Were they both they both kind of got into the pin? Did you did you notice that? Absolutely. Yeah, that was that was really cool. That showed off like, hey, they they've got some they got some spirit, they got some spunk. Um, so that was cool. No, they have ability for sure. But I mean, like, like I said, the teams that I mentioned before that aren't Naomi and Carmella, Bailey and Sasha Banks, and even Nia Jax and Tamina, I guess, um, they, they just have room to grow is all. And, and the less you make the Iconics actually wrestle, the more rusty they're going to get. So you're going to have to need to get them in the ring to actually wrestle a match. But the match was good and entertaining and, and the match only needed to be entertaining um, in the end, though, it went the way we assumed it would. It came down to Nia Jax and Tamina versus Bailey and Sasha Banks. Uh, and Bailey and Sasha Banks leave the Elimination Chamber with those Women Tag Team Championship belts, Darren. We said it would happen. Yes, and they are not the first ever, uh, even though that's how they're announced when they win them. If you watch the pre-show, uh, thank you, Beth Phoenix, for making sure you said uh, Diving Bomb Angels yes. as many times. Uh, as you possibly could before they cut your mic off. Um, so thanks, Beth Phoenix. You're a real glamazon. <laughs> um, 
I, I thought it was, um, I couldn't figure out if Sasha was being sincere or not in her post-match speech. It felt very ironic or disingenuous, but then the tears all of a sudden came, and I guess the tears showed us that it was real? I don't know. Well, there was a lot of booze, and I, I don't mean beer and alcohol. A lot of people were uh, were booing uh, them when they were about to give their, their speech at the end of the match, and I think Sasha kind of heard that and was just kind of had that moment of, like, you people don't realize, like, what we've go th- what we've gone through to get to this point. And she literally said that, like, you don't know, like, what it's taken to get here and all that stuff. And kind of won some of the fans over, but I don't know who these fans were wanting to win. Because <laughs> I feel like everyone got a little bit booed uh, on this night. But everyone was very happy that Nia Jax got sent out because, um, uh, because uh, they did the na-na-na-na, hey-hey-hey, uh, oh. goodbyes. Uh, which, by the way, I think uh, I'm wrong. It came down to Mandy Rose and Sonya Deville versus uh, Bailey and Sasha Banks. Uh, I'm going to correct myself right now. <laughs> That's right, because all the women that were left teamed up on Tamina when Nia Jax uh, ran into the pod and knocked herself unconscious. Uh, actually, yeah, it came down to Mandy Rose and, and Sonya Deville. My apologies, folks. But ah, I corrected myself before any of you could do it. Uh, but nonetheless, Bailey and Sasha Banks to win the match. That doesn't change. And with that, we move on to the next match, which is not an Elimination Chamber match. However, it is a tag team match. And it is for some tag team gold. The SmackDown Tag Team Championship titles being held by The Miz and Shane McMahon for some reason. Taking on The Usos. <laughs> taking on The Usos, Darren. The Usos in hot water. And then again, so is Naomi going into her Elimination Chamber match, technically. Um, Usos in a bit of hot water going into this match. Uh, nonetheless, it does not stop them from once again regaining the SmackDown Tag Team Championship belts. All right, you know, and anybody listening, hashtag dear listeners, you know as well, we gave reason after reason after reason that not only should they not put the belts back on the Usos on this night, but the reasons they wouldn't. And, of course, that means they did. And I'm confused because it also didn't turn into an explosion between The Miz and and Shano back. Uh, which if you're going to do the switcheroo here, it has to immediately turn into a Ms. McMahon feud. Because that's what Shane wants. Shane is trying to build toward a wrestling match at WrestleMania of some sort, and we wants all of us to care for him in that match. But I don't care about Shane McMahon. <laughs> I care about him leaving wrestling alone. Wow. Like the actual well, wrestling itself. He, he, he could be a character on TV, sure. Maybe. Okay, well, fair enough, fair enough. Uh, maybe uh, The Miz wants some time off because his wife uh, announced that she is pregnant. Ha- they're having their second child. Congratulations to them. I mean, that's that's far off from him being necessary in that equation. Um, but who, who knows what the WrestleMania plan is at this point. But it... Must have something to do with The Miz and Shane McMahon fighting each other, I assume. Um, the Usos, though, they walk away with the title belts. And I wonder, I do wonder what's next for The Usos. Um, if if The Miz and Shane McMahon somehow get the titles back immediately, like, that's... <laughs> what is even going on if that happens? Um, and, I mean, we talk about it on the show uh, quite a bit, like, uh, someone having the belt for too long and not long enough, and you can't really hot potato the belt... 
I mean, in all reality, people can win and lose, but it has to make some kind of sense, right? Hashtag of wrestling for real. Um, sure. Yeah, that, that's a topic for another day. But uh, in this particular situation, we are wrong because we thought maybe just keep the belts on The Miz and Shane McMahon this close to WrestleMania. But uh, no, the Usos walk away with them titles, Darren. They do, and uh, color me surprised. Uh, like I said, the fact that it happens at all is surprising. Then the fact that it doesn't turn into a Miz-McMahon feud is just doubly confusing. Sure. Um, there is tension there, but it's by no means erupted into a guaranteed singles match between the two for WrestleMania. And guys, you're running out of time. You're running out of time. <laughs> Well, speaking of confusing, that takes us backstage to an interview with uh, Dasha, uh, interviewing Bobby Lashley and Leo Rush. And what's with Dasha giving Leo Rush the third degree? Uh, basically, all but dressing down Leo Rush in front of a, a an international audience on this uh, pay per view here. Yeah, yeah. Inter- interviewers don't do that. Like Bobby no. Heenan didn't even do that. You know what I mean? Like, what the hell was the intention here? Right, especially not a like lower tier uh, commentator. Maybe you let somebody like Michael Cole get away with it, and even then you got to dress it up as honesty and not bias. Sure, you know it's. I mean, you know, a backstage interviewer. Yeah, what are you doing? Yeah, sure. It, it, it's it. Wow, it just it, it, it diminishes Leo Rush. Totally. I mean, uh, he's small enough. He doesn't need let's say, diminishing. Let's say Vince is doing a great job of diminishing Leo Rush as it is. Wow, um, he is, though. He is, though. He really is. So Leo Rush being told that he will lose the match for Bobby Lashley. And that's exactly what happens as we go into this intercontinental match where the champion Bobby Lashley is with Leo Rush. It's a two-on-one situation. It's a handicap match taking on Finn Balor. And uh, old, old Finn Balor gets the victory over Bobby Lashley via Leo Rush. So basically, exactly what Dasha said would happen happened, which obviously that would happen, but you don't have to spell it out for the audience going into the match. We can we can watch the match and be our own uh, deciders. Um, so not a lot of surprise there uh, with, with the whole setup. I mean, we were surprised. We thought, like, two-at-one situation... I mean, there's no reason why Finn Balor should win this match, but uh, he does win this match. It may have been like a, sorry, we didn't let you beat Brock Lesnar, but here's the IC belt, champ. See, that's a cool belt. Uh, It is, and I'm okay with him holding that belt for the first time. I just don't like the fact that he wins this match under these circumstances. But more power to him. I think him holding that belt ensures higher placement on the WrestleMania card for him. And um, since I am a fan of his, I obviously wish him good health and good finance. So go for it. Sure, yeah. Having the IC belt all but guarantees you a spot on the WrestleMania card. Unless you're Dean Ambrose, the IC champion from WrestleMania 33, and your matches on the pre-show. Uh, you are never going to let that go, are I you? I was in line for a soda. I missed precious seconds of that match. Uh, speaking of matches, uh, this next one isn't really one. Uh, Ronda Rousey defending her Raw Women's Championship against Ruby Riot. Something I was very much looking forward to. I know you were as well, Darren. This uh, had a lot of potential to be a very good match if they let it be. 
Instead, it's just literally Ronda Rousey mopping the floor with Ruby Riot that lasts all of a minute and a half. And it is sad to watch. And I felt bad for Ruby Riot. Me too. I have nothing but uh, sadness and sympathy uh, to, to add to that. Just, are you kidding me? Um, I like Ronda Rousey a lot, but this is not how you treat someone like Ruby Riot. This woman is capable of bringing a lot to your company, and you're ruining that. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. Uh, Charlotte Flair, of course, sitting ringside because she is going to take on the winner of the match, uh, which, of course, again, Ruby Riot wins pretty easily. So Charlotte Flair runs into the ring. Ruby Riot <laughs> gets basically taps out, and then le- like you see her in the background walking into the entranceway because she knows she is done with this whole segment. Uh, so Charlotte and Ronda Rousey square off in the ring, and all of a sudden, Becky Lynch appears on crutches and hobbles through the audience to get into the ring, uh, and then reveals that, ha, she doesn't really need crutches, and she beats the crap out of Charlotte Flair with a crutch, uh, and then tries to get Ronda Rousey to do the same thing and say, hey, she beat you up with a kendo stick, remember that? You give her some revenge. Ronda Rousey turns her back for an instant. Becky Lynch capitalizes by attacking Ronda Rousey. Apparently busted open uh, Ronda Rousey. Apparently she needed stitches. Um, Yeah, that was pretty gruesome. There was quite a bit of blood that was pouring from her, uh, right, I guess, at her scalp line. Yeah. Uh, It was beautiful to me. I love blood in wrestling. (laughs) Yes, you do, you Uh, sicko. First of all, I love it. Second of all, I'm starved for it. By the extreme lack thereof, and then so thirdly, by when it does happen, I'm just woohoo! I, I can I can see that, sure. Um, but uh, we haven't really mentioned this in the show. Um, Charlotte, of course, was picked to fight the winner of Ruby Riot and uh, Ronda Rousey. Uh, Vince McMahon made it a point uh, to not have Becky Lynch involved in WrestleMania at all, and certainly not any women's championship capacities. Um, basically cutting the balls off of the man, Becky Lynch, by saying, nope, you're suspended for 60 days. Uh, Clearly, this only means that Becky Lynch will definitely be involved somehow, but at the same time, when Vince McMahon came out and said, you're not the man, I'm the man, it was kind of like, no, no, this is all fake bullshit. I'm actually the the owner of the company. (laughs) It was kind of like, you don't say that, Vince. You're going to hurt Becky's feelings. Um, So I I didn't like how that was handled at all. So that's that. Becky Lynch involved, but not officially involved at all in this whole uh, WrestleMania uh, women's championship picture. But uh, we'll see what happens there. That does uh, take us right into Braun Strowman versus Baron Corbin. Baron Corbin, his music hit when Ronda Rousey was still in the ring. When Charlotte Flair was still in the ring, they're, they're hobbling out. And all of a sudden, Baron Corbin's music hit. And I was confused. I was like, who's coming out? Oh, right. oh, oh, oh it's Baron Corbin. Okay. The beginning of Baron Corbin's music is so neat that it leaves me thinking that even when that's not the situation, I'm thinking like, ooh, what's about to happen? Oh, okay. (laughs) Oh, it's Baron Corbin. I might be a little let down, but I've really come around to this new Baron Corbin, so I'm not completely let down, but I do think his music is better than he is. Wow, take that. Uh, Darren, you've done far more damage than I ever could. Uh, that's not true. Ron Strowman, though, does come out and take on Baron Corbin as a no DQ match, and uh, it's it's a good match. It's a it's a match you would see on Raw. I mean, really, there's nothing terribly special about it. 
However, though, in the end, we are wrong. We are mistaken because Strowman does not get the better of Baron Corbin. Baron Corbin does take advantage of that whole no DQ thing, no disqualifications, and he calls out a couple of his buddies to help him uh, dispatch of Braun Strowman, those buddies being Drew McIntyre as well as Bobby Lashley, uh, who had just lost his IC belt earlier in the night. And the three of them just wail on Braun Strowman and wear him down and take him down. And uh, old Baron Corbin gets the one, two, three on Braun Strowman. Don't know what the fuck that plan is supposed to be for WrestleMania. How do you involve all of them? And, and, and I feel so bad for Braun Strowman. This is a guy that used to be able to beat up three guys at once. He used to tear down the set. And you had to, like, tread carefully around him because he might just rip your head off on a whim. He's, you know, flipping over ambulances and throwing semis into the stratosphere. But not tonight. He's just beaten up by some chairs. And Not to say that Lashley and, you know, Corbin and McIntyre aren't huge men because they are. But uh, what have they done to Braun Strowman, Darren? You mean other than totally emasculate him? Yes. Uh, not, not much. There's not much left to do after he's done that. You've taken all of his chutzpah and you've chucked it into the uh, into file 13, right? <laughs> sure. And uh, that's sad. I, I want so much more. You know I want so much more. I want him to be the next Hulk Hogan, dude. The next Hulk Hogan. And he won't be. Not at this rate. Not at this rate. The only thing he has going for him is he's, he's relatively healthy and he's pretty young. But um, I, I think they're going to continue to leave him on the back burner until they truly regret it. This uh, seems to be what's going on. Uh, but that does take us into our final match. The name of the game, Darren, is Elimination Chamber. And this last one is an Elimination Chamber match. It is for the WWE Championship belt, held by the Planet's Champion, Daniel Bryan, as he takes on AJ Styles, Jeff Hardy, Randy Orton, Samoa Joe, and Kofi Kingston. And man, Samoa Joe can't catch a break, can he? He is the first one out in this Elimination Chamber match. They love him. They hate him. I think they just hate him. Uh, they they abuse Samoa Joe so often uh, on their programs, and this is just another example where he is ultimately an also-ran, and he doesn't get his big WWE prize for everything that he has done and given to wrestling. You know, even though the vast majority of that was in uh, TNA, and, of course, his biggest moments were in ROH and PWG, but... We're never going to see repeats of those days in the WWE. And so maybe they're trying to push to have a little bit of uh, action like that in the chamber. Um, and we do. We get a little bit of it, but a very little bit of it uh, because it's not uh, Samoa Joe's match. They want this to be Kofi Kingston's match. That's what they want. Apparently, Mustafa Ali uh, having to uh, step out of this match was the greatest thing to ever happen to Kofi Kingston. Well, sure, because the crowd, the WWE Universe, is overwhelmingly behind Kofi Kingston. And I am overwhelmingly against him being in this position. Wow. I'm not against, I'm not against him being a wrestler. Not against him being a, a part of the New Day. 
not against him having success. I am against him at this late in his career being quote unquote given an opportunity. Uh, if he was ever going to have one, he needed to earn it, not be given it. And it needed to be several years ago, not now or in the future. So there is an area of contention, um, you know, for starters. I think a lot of our fans are throwing rocks at the radios right now, Darren. And you, you owe them maybe an apology or a new stereo. I don't know. But uh, this Kofi situation is really interesting for a lot of reasons. One, again, he's only in it because Mustafa Ali, fabulous he, uh, was taken out of the equation due to injuries. Uh, Randy Orton gave a pretty gnarly shiner uh, in their match um, recently. This all came from Kofi Kingston's really great uh, progress in a gauntlet match that took place recently on uh, SmackDown Live. And because he makes it to the end, I have to wonder if he was the first one eliminated in the gauntlet match, would people be as behind him uh, as they are now? Uh, And also, uh, apparently wrestling fans have not learned the lesson that just because you want something, just because the entire WWE universe wants something, doesn't mean that doesn't mean Vince McMahon is going to make it happen. In fact, Vince McMahon, if you're paying attention, is a very spiteful person, and he will he will extra make sure it doesn't happen, or even worse, he will dangle the carrot in front of your face and then snatch it away, uh, and then smash it because uh, <laughs> he's a he's a mean man. Uh, regardless, Kofi Kingston is a good wrestler. Uh, I I've, I've always thought he was a good wrestler. Um, to me, this kind of proves my point that I had a while back, which is you need to break up the New Day because it's gone as far as it can. Now you see how far one of them can go on their own. Um, and Kofi Kingston getting all the attention that he's getting right now and, and getting in these this Elimination Chamber match. I mean, this would have been very common back in, like, what, 2006, 2007. You would have seen Kofi Kingston in the situation. Nowadays, it's kind of like the tag team champion? Uh, the former tag team champion Kofi Kingston because the way the New Day exists, it's just they're they're a tag team of three, and that's all they can be. You know what I mean? So when I, you, yeah, this is yeah. On one hand, it doesn't make any sense. On the other hand, it's kind of exciting, but they're both happening at the same time, and so it's just a mess. Sure, exactly. And WWE trained me to think a certain way about the New Day, so I can only see them in that capacity now. Um, but again, not to say Kofi Kingston wasn't very good in this match, and he does make it all the way to the end against Daniel Bryan. Now, somewhere between this hatred for this eco-friendly Daniel Bryan and everyone's apparent newfound love and respect for Kofi Kingston, uh, the end of this match is it's actually very good. The, the, the last five or ten minutes, however long this little matchup lasts, it, there is some very good wrestling here, and there is a story being told Uh, And the fans are paying extra close attention. You're not wrong about that. The wrestling is good. The timing is good. They're given an opportunity. They're given a stage. They're given a moment. And they're telling a story. Um, And that story involves a good guy and a bad guy. So in a way, what more could you ask for? It's hard to complain about it. I would ask for one of the players to not be Kofi Kingston. That's what I would ask for. But... um, Again, I hate to sound like I'm totally disrespecting Kofi Kingston. It's just, it's just, again, he's a replacement for Ali. So (laughs) it wasn't even, this is real life. It's not kayfabe. I mean, this, this, this is actual last minute stuff. 
right? Sure. And so that's weird. But anyway, I, I, I'm happy with the ending. I'm happy with the way that it goes. This is not a bad match. I, I, I don't know. I, maybe I don't have a lot of good things to say, but it, it's not I, – I would take Randy Orton out and I would take Kofi Kingston out and I would put in two people who are a little bit more interesting and I would have had one hell of a throwdown. Uh, but Orton and Kingston just kind of drag it down with that 10 years ago feeling. Well, apparently you feel the opposite way that I feel about the women's match where you really enjoyed it. And I was kind of like, eh, this match, you weren't so much into it, but I actually really enjoyed it. And I thought like, man, all these people, like everyone here has been wrestling for 15 plus years. Like there, there is so much, there is so much time spent in the ring in this, in this friggin' ring. Um, Randy Orton winning the belt. I do respect that. I feel you there, and I do respect that part of it. Right, and I'm not a particularly big fan of Randy Orton. You know that. Um, Jeff Hardy, I can kind of take and le- take or leave his current existence in WWE, whatever. I guess it's neat he's around. But I, but I still respect that they've all been wrestling for this long, and they're, they're all good at what they do, and they all know what they're doing. So I really did enjoy the match, and I, I did enjoy when it came down to, and, and WWE's not stupid, they know the stories between, Daniel, at this at, for this night, for this particular era that we're in, all of a sudden, is between Daniel Bryan and Kofi Kingston. And uh, Kofi Kingston falls short, Daniel Bryan does retain that championship belt, and it's a tearful goodbye uh, from Kofi Kingston and the New Day. I actually liked that moment a lot, where the New Day came running in to kind of like comfort Kofi Kingston, and they all kind of sat on the steps, Elimination Chamber. I thought that was a really nice yeah. touch. Um, and that, that that was a really good moment. That that was actually good. That was a lot of WWE moments are manufactured. They're artificial, and they they try to tell you that something's happening here that you should feel a certain way about them. I did kind of feel in that moment like that's, that's pretty that's pretty one last time there, guys. That, that was really cool. I, I I did like that moment there. Um, but I mean, Kofi fans are getting their way because it will be Daniel Bryan versus Kofi Kingston at Fastlane, which is your next WWE pay per view, folks. So I mean, he's not going to win the belt, but Another chance, another chance, everybody, another chance. So that is the Elimination Chamber for 2019, ladies and gentlemen, as well as our review for Fest Wrestling Love is a Battlefield Part 3, and that is our episode. Did you guys enjoy it? What's your favorite Billy Joel album? Let us know. There's a lot of ways to let us know. Find us on Twitter, Ref and Show Podcast. That's R-E-F-N-S-H-O-W-P-O-D-C-A-S-T. Find us on Facebook, like and share. We would appreciate it. Send us a Gmail if you want to. The whole Ref and Show at gmail.com. T-H-E-W-H-O-L-E-R-E-F-N-S-H-O-W at gmail.com. Or find us on Instagram, also at The Whole Ref and Show. T-H-E-W-H-O-L-E-R-E-F-N-S-H-O-W. Hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of wrestling pictures from the past and the present uh, organizations all over. It's a fun, fun place to hang out and look at what we have to share. That's right, folks. And do remember that I, Perry Smith, run the Twitter. Uh, Darren runs the Instagram. So please send all of your uh, Darren hate mail because he doesn't like Kofi Kingston uh, to the Instagram account. That would be much appreciated. Uh, until then, speaking of our names, my name is Perry Smith, Darren. No, no, it's just Perry Smith. Yeah, I'm glad it's not Perry Smith, Darren. That, that would be very confusing. <laughs> um, but I am not confused at all about my name. I am the incredible badass. That is Darren Beasley. 
And we're going to catch you fine, ladies and gentlemen, on our next episode next week. Till then, we do appreciate you stopping by the only wrestling podcast that calls it right down the middle. The whole reffin' show so long. Bye-bye! Coming down the mountain. I don't mind the sun sometimes.